this kind of mystery of why the black kids are having asthma at higher rates is really not a mystery about them being black, but more of a mystery about something about where they live. Hi, I'm Clémentine Vanifontaire. I'm an assistant professor of economics at the University of Toronto, and this is Inequalitox. Diane Alexander is an assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania, Wharton, in the Healthcare Management Group. Before that, she was an economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago. Her research focuses on the supply side of healthcare, looking at how health provider compensation affects health and the interaction of environment in place on health outcomes. She talked to me about the research she conducted with Janet Curry on the impact of children's neighborhoods on the racial gap in respiratory diseases such as asthma. You start a study by mentioning the important racial disparities in health in the U.S. and how it subsequently affects other socioeconomic outcomes. And in particular, you mention racial disparities in asthma prevalence. What do we know about these disparities today? Yeah, so I think one of the one of the things that got us started on this project was that there has been this um, very widely and extensively documented racial disparity in asthma, in particular among young children. Uh, and this is something that lots of studies have found, um, but also these same studies have had a really hard time explaining. Uh, and so, so there are lots of reasons um, that we know that that people. Um, could develop asthma, things like um, low birth weight, which we look at in our papers associated with asthma, and so is pollution. And so people can try to control for these types of factors, but that still hasn't been able, wasn't able to, to kind of get rid of this disparity. And so this, uh, this kind of body of research had led um, some, even some people in the medical profession, so websites like, um, like Mayo Clinic or something, when talking about risk factors for asthma, would, would often put um, being black as a risk factor for asthma. And so going in, one of the motivations for going into the study is we thought um, asthma is something that we know tends to have physical triggers, and it just didn't really seem to make sense that being black would be a risk factor for asthma. And so we wanted to try to push this a little bit farther and see if we could make some progress on figuring out where these disparities are coming from. And we think asthma in particular is super important because it's one of the most common um, chronic conditions for kids in the U.S. Uh, and we know that poor health in childhood is related to not only poor health in adulthood, but also things like lower educational attainment and worse, um, lower income as adults. And so from the, from the perspective of trying to reduce kind of overall inequality, we think that starting with kind of reducing um, health inequalities in particular in childhood is super important. And to conduct this study, you use a unique administrative data set for health records from the state of New Jersey, and you match these data with birth records. I wanted to uh, have your opinion about why is it important to work uh, using administrative data on this particular topic? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think in general, um, in for kind of all different kinds of outcomes, but in particular for health outcomes, it's really nice. Um, to have administrative data for things um, where recall can be, people can have a hard time remembering perhaps um, how many times their kid, for example, has had an asthma attack or whether they've been diagnosed. It's just nice to have kind of administrative data so that we can be sure that what we're picking up isn't contaminated by recall. Uh, and then uh, it's nice to be able to connect to different sources of administrative data because the downside of administrative data is oftentimes it then doesn't record a lot of things that we would want to know. Um, and so combining different 
pieces of administrative data, I think, can get us kind of closer to having the fuller set um, of things that we want to know to be able to conduct these types of studies. I guess another, another reason that um, survey data can be tricky to work with is just that you often end up with much smaller samples. And so if you're, because um, it's, it's just expensive to conduct really big um, surveys. And so if you, that can also make it harder to get kind of precise um, answers to a lot of the questions that, that um, where you need kind of big groups of um, subpopulations. It's pretty rare to have access to birth records data. Could you tell us about the process that you had to go through to access this data set? Yeah, sure. Actually, in the U.S., um, you can apply to get access to um, vital statistics data, but the, the main data set that's fairly easy to apply to get access to doesn't include um, names, which is what we needed to be able to match the two data sets together in, in our paper. And so what we were able to do is apply, um, apply to the New Jersey Department of Health directly, uh, which collects this data, and then um, we were able to convince them that this project was important, uh, and that and so what they let us do um, was actually come physically to the Department of Health in New Jersey and conduct the matching process um, in, with their confidential data, but without ever taking the data out of the building. And so what we were able to do, um, or what I was able to do in grad school, was to sit in this building and, and merge these two data sets using this very confidential data that, that with all kind of health um, data sets, we want to be very careful about confidentiality issues. Uh, so we were able to merge these two data sets together using things like names. Uh, but then once we had merged it together, we took out all the names so that it was de-identified and then were able to, um, to work with the de-identified data. So I think that um, something that I learned from that is that, A, it's hard to get access to these types of data sets that have things like names and social security numbers, uh, but that also that oftentimes um, the people who have the data can be willing to work with you if you show them that you're really serious about confidentiality issues and are willing to kind of do things um, that, that are maybe costly to you, but ultimately I think make everyone more comfortable like going in and doing the data uh, analysis within their secure facilities. And I wanted to talk about the context of this study uh, in research. There is a growing interest on what we call the health effect of place, and which is basically the fact that individuals' neighborhood will affect their socioeconomic condition. How do you integrate this dimension in your own study? So I, I guess we didn't really go into the project um, knowing that that would be what would come out of it. And so, so like I said, we we kind of went into the project thinking that um, there's got to be some explanation other than race behind these disparities in outcomes for kids. Uh, and so we went into the project with this really rich data trying to figure out what it was. Uh, and it turned out that when we split the data by neighborhoods, that was where that seemed to be kind of the smoking gun of what was eliminating the disparities. And so I think we went into the project and I still think that things like um, indoor and outdoor air pollution are uh, potentially part of the reason behind this. Um, but it, it really just kind of popped out of the data. We didn't kind of go into it knowing that that is what would be the case. But in the U.S., um, in particular, residential segregation is a really big deal. Um, so we have kind of a long history of racist practices and attitudes that have led um, certain groups of people, in particular um, black Americans, to live um, in essentially segregated neighborhoods. 
and so if that's the case, then it means that these moms have kind of um, de facto fewer options of where to live. Uh, and that can combine with worse pollution in these areas and kind of other factors that we may not be able to measure well um, to show up in the data as really a, a neighborhood effect. And what we find in the paper is that it's not just um, kids of black moms in these neighborhoods that have worse outcomes, it's also kids of white moms. And so that really points it to it being something about the neighborhood uh, and not something about kind of the characteristics of the people who live in the neighborhoods. Uh, one of the unfortunate things about the paper, though, is that then, then of course, the natural question is, what is it about these neighborhoods? Uh, and there is a lot of things that are correlated with these neighborhoods, um, but we weren't able, using the data that was available to us, to really pin down and say, oh, it's this or it's that. And so could you give us some descriptive facts uh, on the disparities in asthma? Yeah, sure. Um, so in 2010, for example, um, asthma prevalence, this is coming from survey data, um, which we know may have some problems, but asthma rates were about twice as high among black kids as non-black kids. So in our data, um, again, black kids were much more likely to, to be diagnosed with asthma than white kids. And then within black and white subgroups, um, both um, black kids and non-black kids were, again, more likely uh, to be diagnosed with asthma if they lived in what we call in the paper black zip codes. Um, so, for example, for black kids living in black zip codes, about 18% were ever diagnosed or ever showed up with asthma in our data, relative to about 14% of black kids living in non-black zip codes. And then for white kids, there was about the same gap. So white kids living in black zip codes were about 11% of them are being diagnosed with asthma relative to about 6% uh, in other zip codes. La minute technique. So in this podcast, researchers take about one minute to explain one technical aspect of their work. And um, in your paper, you propose a regression exercise in which you successfully account for a series of characteristics. I wanted to ask you, uh, what does it mean in practice to introduce mother's fixed effects? Yeah, so so in our analysis, what we're essentially trying to do is like figure out what's causing this gap. And so the strategy we take is to control for more and more things. Uh, essentially to see if we can get rid of the gap. So first, we just start tracing out the, the, the relationship between birth weight uh, and asthma for blacks and for whites. Uh, and then we add a bunch of characteristics of, of the moms in the neighborhoods, and the gap narrows a bit, but is still there. And so then what we, what we do is introduce mother fixed effects, which is essentially what we're doing there is adding kind of a control for each mom in the data set. And so then what's allowing us to trace out the relationship between birth weight and asthma is the fact that mothers have multiple births and the different kids have different birth weights. And so what we're using is this within mother variation in birth weight and then looking at the outcomes of those kids and then looking at that kind of on average for black moms and white moms. So it's a way of controlling for um, the lingo is kind of all the fixed characteristics of the mothers. So um, first we control for observed characteristics, and then the mother fixed effects allows us to control for these unobserved characteristics of the moms. And so I want to talk about the main results of your regression exercise, and especially uh, what you mentioned, uh, looking at the different Uh, neighborhood characteristics. Could you tell us about what you find uh, after successfully accounting for these dimensions? 
Yeah, so so what we find first in our exercise of just trying to do the kind of standard control for more things and see if the gap go, goes away exercise uh, is that, again, we find that when we add a bunch of kind of typical standard controls, like things for um, like education uh, and, and marital status and birth order, these kind of typical um, controls that are included, uh, that reduces the gap in asthma prevalence between um, black kids and white kids, but only by about half. Uh, and so then we do this, uh, we add these mother fixed effects, which is again, controlling now for a lot, a lot of stuff and only using this within mother variation and birth weight. And we still find gaps between black and, and white kids' asthma prevalence. So then what's left is the question, right? Uh, and so what we found is that when we split the sample between um, kids that are living in black zip codes, uh, which we define black zip codes essentially just as we, we rank all zip codes by the fraction black and pick the ones with the highest fraction black as black zip codes. Uh, and we do this in a way such that we end up actually with the same number of black and non-black kids in these black zip codes. But when we split the sample in this way, the differences essentially just completely disappeared in the black zip codes. And so what that means is that that both the black and the non-black kids in those black zip codes are seeing these elevated asthma risks. And then in the other zip codes, there still is a bit of a gap, um, but that goes away then when we add the more controls. And so it seems like this, this kind of mystery of why the black kids are having asthma at higher rates is really not a mystery about them being black, but a, more of a mystery about something about where they live. And you propose several hypotheses, such as characteristics of these neighborhoods that could explain why these disparities disappear in like black zip codes. What are these characteristics, for instance? Yeah, so um, one of our big hypotheses in this paper um, is that it's related to pollution, um, which we know can trigger, um, can trigger asthma. And we can also show that these zip codes are, on average, more polluted. Um, the reason that it's really difficult to say whether or not it's something like pollution is just because we don't have very good measurement across space of pollution. So um, there are only a handful of air quality monitors in New Jersey. Uh, and so you just don't have the spatial res resolution to really look and see if that's what's causing these differences. There's outdoor air pollution. There's pollution from cars and pollution from factories that could be causing problems with respiratory conditions. There's also indoor air pollution from things like insect and rodent infestations in older houses and things like mold that we know are a big deal. There could also be things like different access to healthcare services that could also be related to different disease rates in these different areas. Uh, and so what we tried to do was kind of think of all the things that we could and come up with measures for them and see if they, any of them could help explain in the, in the data this disparity. Uh, and in the end of the day, it's really hard because they're all kind of correlated with each other and none of them are measured very well. And we know that if in a regression you put in something that is measured with a lot of error, it's just not going to show up as a relationship. Um, and so, so at the end of the day, we had to kind of just say, well, it seems like something in these neighborhoods uh, is not working well for these kids, which I think it at least brings us a step closer to say, um, if, if it's not something about the kids themselves or their families, then it's something that we can fix, which I think is a hopeful outcome. 
um, but we still haven't figured out exactly what it is. So there are still a lot of questions uh, to be figured out, but I wanted to talk already about the policy implications of these results and what we can make of it. Yeah, so I, I think that the the results that it's something about the neighborhood and not something about the people is important from a policy perspective because it shows that when we have these types of health disparities by things like race, I think it really emphasizes the fact that we shouldn't just kind of say, oh, it looks like a race is a risk factor for these diseases and really probe in and figure out what actually is the risk factor. Because once we find the risk factor, which I think in many of these cases is not going to be race, then it's something that we can actually try to remediate um, either by, you know, removing or, or solving the pollution or whatever the issue is in the neighborhood or by trying to move people out of the neighborhood. And actually, I think this, um, I was thinking about this a lot uh, in the context of COVID-19, especially towards the beginning of the pandemic, there was, and still um, there's a lot of discussion about how it's hitting minority communities harder, which is definitely true in the data. But I think that what hasn't gotten, maybe now, but towards the beginning, it's at least wasn't getting enough attention is it's, again, it's not like a racial risk factor for these things, uh, that these are, it's very much the, you know, the socioeconomic determinants of health in the context of COVID-19. It's the fact that these people are working different types of jobs and they're, again, living in different neighborhoods and because of their circumstances may be unable to remediate these risks in the way that some other groups are able to do. And so I think um, any time that we see kind of big disparities in health by things um, that don't seem immediately obviously related to health, <laughs> I think that we really should push harder. Okay, so before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you if you had a particular recommendation for our listeners uh, of a book, a movie, or something that inspired you that you would like to share. For me, the things that have made the biggest impact on kind of how I think about inequality have been experiences and kind of meeting people and talking with them. So I things like um, when I was studying abroad in Costa Rica in undergrad doing the Habitat for Humanity project and talking with the people um, who were building the house for, things that have made the biggest and most lasting experiences on me are really just kind of getting out there and talking to people that you wouldn't normally maybe encounter in your day-to-day -day life and talking to them about their experiences. And you don't have to go all the way to another country to do that. Something that got me thinking about inequality when I wasn't expecting it um, was when I saw the movie Parasite, which I think did a really good job of kind of highlighting the lived experiences of people in totally different parts of society. Of course, that wasn't maybe the main part of the movie, but that's a great movie that I would recommend watching. Thank you so much, Diane, for your time and for this conversation. Of course, it was fun. This was Inequality Talks, a podcast recorded by Clémentine Vanifanter in Toronto. Music is by The Count. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.